0: Hello, I'm Sumit Bose. Welcome to the Net Hero Podcast. Sorry about my absence last week when I was coming back from Qatar. More of that later. Today, in this podcast, we're going to Spain. It'll be amazing. We'll be talking about satellites and how satellites can help us get to net zero, maybe 10 years earlier. More to that a little later, but let me just go through a couple of stories. Uh, remember, future net zero, better business better planet go to the site futurenetzero.com to get all your stories and information about what's been going on and a couple of things struck me very interesting this week one was a report uh, that's a positive one which is green jobs are growing four times faster than the rest of the uk labor market that's a report from pwc you'll see that on our site and it shows that the jobs are increasing because it's clear that renewable energy the transition towards net zero Means that companies are changing the way they're operating, which is a great thing, which means more job opportunities, particularly, yes, down in London in the southeast, but also usefully more in the north, Scotland. You know, massive increase 3.3 percent, that's doubling what it was last year uh, in terms of green jobs as a percentage. Now, it doesn't sound like much, but you think about it if you're getting about three percent doubling every year in terms of job numbers. You can see that within 10 to 15 years, quite a significant part of the population will be employed in the green sector, which I think is a great thing. A uh, bit of bad news. Well, you can say it two ways. One, I think the the emotive reaction is what the hell are we doing by uh, giving the go ahead to the Cumbria coal mine? Now, I've had a real look at this story and yes, if you look on it on paper after what we said at COP, Why the hell are we opening another coal mine? But then you look at the the governmental pressures on energy and energy security and the fact that we are still importing and using coal and we're using it right now in this very cold snap that we're having. At the time of recording this, the snow is outside and we're all shivering a lot. You can see why for heavy industry, the government wants to say, actually, if there is coal there, can we use it? Can we capture it cleanly and do that so that we can actually try and decarbonize and progressively reduce what we're doing in the steel and heavy to, to heavy sectors i still don't think it's the right thing but i can see a government argument for it but i think they'll be in for quite a few challenges on that front and talking to challenges one of the last things the ill-fated previous uh, business secretary remember him jacob reesmog was in position for all of about three days well he signed off in those three days um, lots of licenses for uh, gas exploration and Greenpeace friends of the earth uh, are now taking the government to court over that so again it's a story you can have a look at because they're saying this is the wrong thing to do all of these things seem to paint a picture of negativity but I don't think that is the case I think actually there is good stuff going in and we have to remember where we are This coal snap that's going on right now, the troll of Trondheim, as it's called, we're burning coal, guys. We're burning coal to keep us warm. That ain't right. but That's the way it is. So we have to be realistic about where we are. Uh, You know, Drax, the biggest kind of biomass station, still has coal and it's been burning it. We've got to make ourselves capable of making this transition in a way that keeps the lights on. And at present, I hate to say it, but we still have to use some fossil fuels. I've got more to say at the end, but now let's turn our attention to the stellar space type universe because this podcast is a cracker. Now, if you've been watching the news, you'll know that we're going back to the moon. Who are ah. now? I'm old enough to remember the last moon landing because I remember it as a little kid, happened in '72, and I just remember the pictures. And it was it was kind of like when I was growing up, space was the big thing I grew up in the '70s. And, you know, I remember Soyuz handshake, Google that for you young. Uh, I remember things like the first shuttle being launched and being called Enterprise, which was all based on Star Trek. And I've always thought that space was a, you know, a great thing for humanity to do. But then obviously you go up and then you realise that the cost, which is why the space race sort of stopped, because it was all about politics. And we haven't been back to the moon until possibly now. Now, theories abound why we're going back there. People say that we're going back there for space. Others say we're going back there for energy resources, because the moon has lots of minerals, perhaps lithium, perhaps other things. But let's put that aside. If you look at space, the perception is that it's something that is good for mankind in terms of, you know, blue skies thinking and all of that. But is it actually that good for us to do this stuff? What about the green footprint, or not-so-green footprint, of launching these rockets into space. Well, a new report looking at satellite and satellite technologies, and we're all used to satellites now, says that actually, could they, the space tech, satellites and such, help us reach net zero 10 years ahead of schedule? Well, to discuss this perplexing thought, I'm joined by Todd McDonnell president of global government at Inmarsat. Uh, Todd, hello. Good morning, Sumit. Thanks for joining us on the Net Hero podcast. Um, before we start talking about this, what does Inmarsat do? If you live in London, you might know the building, because I, I remember, the I don't know if you're still there, used to be on the corner of uh, Old Street Roundabout, I remember seeing that. But w- what is Inmarsat?
1: Yeah, uh, thanks. Well, Inmarsat is actually one of the world's oldest satellite operators. We're 43 years old now. Uh, we were created in 1979 to ensure essentially that another titanic doesn't happen so we were created initially to save life at sea in fact that's part of what's called the SOLAS convention save our lives at sea and that uh, we ran a system called or still today run the system called gmdss which is the global maritime distress sea safety system essentially the big button on the wall if you're a ship in tra- distress um, you hit that button and the, lots of things happen to help you out and anything over 300 tons that goes to sea today has to carry it and right. just to put that in perspective a uh, the Cape Class container ship is well north of 100,000 tonnes, so 300 tonnes is not very big. But then fast forward 43 years, we'd be on more than 95% of all airlines today. Uh, we're used a tremendous amount by governments right around the world, by agriculture, energy, aviation, uses us in many different ways, actually. So, yeah, you would say we're quite embedded in society, actually. Now, a key reason for being is mobility, so we generally look after things that move or give you a way to move anywhere in the world to get a connection.
0: So are you part of my sat-nav on my phone then, you know the things
1: like that? Uh, great, great question. So not exactly. So when I say that, so typically the sat-nav on your phone comes from a what's called a GNSS system, which might be the US GPS system or Galileo from Europe and so on. We actually do have some other technologies we support various countries with that enhance that SATNAV, but the base level of sat-nav comes from others.
0: Do you actually own satellites then, or
1: do you just sort we of do. launch them? No, no, no. Our, our core business is to design, have constructed for us, launch, and then operate. In fact, a, a typical large geostationary spacecraft lasts for 15 years, so they last a really long amount of time. And uh, we're flying about uh, 15 today. We've got another one going up for launch in February. We've got about another six or seven behind that. So we, we, run, we run quite a large fleet of them, actually.
0: The story we're going to talk about today uh, is all about kind of could... Satellite tech help us with modelling and and getting that. But before we get to that, and I, and I I do, I do want to explore that properly, Todd. I guess there's a few things. You know, we were talking just before we started recording, uh, of the image. And look, I'm a big space fan, but loads of people would say, you watch a rocket launch, and I've been lucky enough to be at, you know, near Cape Canaveral when I saw the shuttle go up, and the noise and the power, and it's incredible. And you know, I've been to ESA. Uh, in And seen things there about what 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 goes on, but you can't get away from the image of masses of fuel being burnt oxygen liquid oxygen nitrogen flames energy, a massive carbon footprint for the space sector. How do you even sort of answer that side of things because people will say this is all great but you know, people have heard of space junk. You watch the movie Wally. It's it's all about kind of how much space <laughs> can be out there. And people are saying, you know, this stuff is just clogging up. We, we, we you know, we're frankly shut on the earth and now we're shitting in space. You know, in p- the vernacular, but this is what we're doing. We don't need this stuff. There's too much of it. And it costs too much in terms of energy and resources to get the stuff out there. As a spaceman, how do <laughs> you counteract that?
1: Right so so first of all humanity can't get out of bed on any day of the week without the help from space so so unfortunately of course the the uh, the moon landing so it's is perhaps long forgotten we published a report earlier this year that demonstrated that the younger generations have not experienced that. So they don't realize how much space plays a part in their lives. But you mentioned already GPS, that's in everybody's phone, but then banking relies on it, weather monitoring, weather prediction services, uh, the fact whether the roads and trains are going to run in London today, that's all being held (laughs) from space.
0: Yeah, we're recording on the day of snow. So yes, absolutely.
1: (laughs) Yes. So, so, in fact, humanity is tremendously reliant on space today. It is helping every part of people's everyday lives all the time. So, now, it's also extremely efficient at doing that. So, there's only been 6,300 space launches in all time. If you compare that to just aviation, there's 100,000 flights a day. So, if you think about the carbon consumed by flying aeroplanes every day, 100,000 flights, only 6300 rocket launches ever yeah but they and, use a lot
0: more power don't they rocket launch.
1: well oh. n- well yes you do use a lot more power for one launch but when when the quantum is so small then it's it's one hit and then you know a typical large space, uh, geostationary spacecraft lasts 15 years if you could put fuel in your plane and have it last for 15 years you would truly have quite efficient platform but that's not how they work but in space, we get tremendous use. And in fact, MSAT's been able to get some of its spacecraft to last even out to 20 years in terms of operational life. So, so in fact, space is extremely uh, efficient. Uh, you, you, you do one hit, lasts a long time, and uh, you get a lot of benefit out of that. So I, I would suggest to you that in fact, what space does pretty efficient compared to many other things on Earth. But the other really interesting thing about space is it has a unique view. So one geostationary spacecraft can see a third of the Earth. If you think about how many towers Brie T, for example, has to run or Deutsche Telekom in Germany or Telstra in Australia, but one satellite can see a third of the Earth. So with just three satellites, you can see the entire Earth. And that's why you get some of these benefits in terms of uh, managing the climate, managing the environment, because you have a mu- you have the best view that you can't get on Earth. So when you think about so few launches to get assets that last such a long time, you then have a big view of the Earth you can see how much there's a great deal of efficiency offered. But what our report kind of points out is, in fact, there's much more to be gained. So already today, space is saving in the rounds of 1.5 billion tonnes of carbon. That's just it's just doing what it does in the background every day. The Globant report points out, in fact, that could get, be as high as 8.8 billion tonnes of carbon. That's something like all of the United States emissions in one year. How, so,
0: how, do, you, how, how do you justify that first figure? Sorry, what did you say? It was, uh, right, no, it's...
1: So, I said $1.5 billion. So, um, yeah. uh, well... So how, how are you
0: coming up with that?
1: Good good point. So, so the report, you, you, the, the problem in these things, of course, you can just go in, in so many different directions. So, the okay. report just drills down on three areas. It drills down on transport and logistics. It drills down on energy systems. And it drills down on agriculture and forestry. And, and there's right. some sub subsections in there. So, uh, for example, using space-generated technology today, pilots use a thing called EFB, electronic flight bag, in route weather updates... Uh, as well as the GPS ah. you talked about earlier, position reporting and so on. So you now know, don't go that way. It will take you longer. Uh, there gotcha. is there is some efficiency. There's a bit more turbulence
0: had. there, Chief, that sort of stuff.
1: I see. Exactly right. Same happens in maritime, but in fact, it's even more so in maritime. Not only do they use it for enhanced navigation or more efficient navigation, they also use it for things like bunker pricing. So is my next uh, load of fuel oil more expensive at port A or port B? Should I do a different route because I will have a more efficient transit because I have less bad weather, but I'll also be able to pick up a new fuel load that won't be as expensive as another fuel load so and, and well,
0: yes, I get it now. so you what yeah. you're saying is that, but but the, the 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 use of the satellite tech is creating efficiency savings in the way we move goods, and, and yes,
1: do- yes, and and in fact, it's actually doing it so far in a relatively small way. so. Uh, We're doing some work for ESA today on a thing called IRIS. It's 4D enhanced navigation for aviation, particularly over Europe. And that will dramatically reduce the amount of spacing you need to run between aircraft. So, you know, what happens, we've all been on, um, you know, passenger flights and all of a sudden you're supposed to arrive at Airport X by a certain time. But mm-hmm. there's too much congestion people are circling or yep. aircraft are circling and so on so using things like iris is designed to much better manage the ability to put more planes in that airspace so you will drive tremendous efficiencies because planes are not burning the same amount of fuel to get to the position they're going to be and they might change the route change their speed of uh, uh, progress and so on yep. to better manage the airspace
0: I, I get this where does it come in with agriculture
1: Oh, there's so many examples of agriculture. Great question. So, for example, uh, today when you do large-scale agriculture, you actually think about where you drive the tractor. So, if you compress, if you compress different parts of your soil all the time, you will reduce the quality of your land. Whereas, if you can better manage through space-based automation where your tractor is going, you will actually get more use out of your land.
0: You're talking about the old concept of old crop rotation, yeah. So you, it's a bit more than crop rotation these
1: days, but yeah. yes, that's one example. Yeah, but but even even now, the uh, agriculture industries are doing a bit of, uh, if you like, live trading. So they look at it and say, well, when would be the best time to harvest my wheat? Is it only exact prime hard, or is because of where the market is better to go a bit earlier, where the market is go a bit later, and so on, and so you can speed up and slow down how, how you even take your product out of the field or out of the paddock into the market. So, uh, so you know, forestry is the same thing, you know, watching the um, leverage of forestry assets and where timber is needed, how much is needed and so on. Managing all those things real time, because you remember things like forest and that need a lot of water and so on, makes things, you, you get a tremendous amount of efficiency if you can better manage that in real time, not slow samplers, perhaps the way it used to work.
0: I mean, the claim in this report is a good one, which is why you're on this podcast. Uh, obviously, it's one of those things that we can always say, how how on earth? But, yeah, you know, 10 years earlier, getting it to, to net zero and cut a further 18%, nearly a fifth of global greenhouse emissions by 2040. They're, those are bold claims. And you talk about in this report things like, well, how would it do it? Well, you could see, you know, better management, like you were talking about, of kind of freight, distribution, you could do things like kind of improving the way that things like air taxis work and little drones and all that. But one thing I also saw that you said that in oil and gas, methane detection could deliver a reduction of at least 10%. I didn't quite understand that. How, how can you detect methane and make a a, a saving of emissions? Uh,
1: well, so space-based observation is capable of detecting a tremendous amount of things. In fact, we, we... Um, support a company today called Capella Space who use small or smaller low earth observation satellites to observe many things. And then they transmit that data via our larger satellites sitting out the top of them. But there are many uh, space-based assets that can detect things like methane. And if you can measure through detection the amount of methane you're generating, then you can better manage it. So the point we're making is you can see much more effectively methane production and where it is and how much it is to better manage how much you produce, basically. So that's another reason why space is unique in that regard. It sees things that the rest of Earth can't.
0: What about the resources that you use, right? Satellites, gold, palladium. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a, a physicist and <laughs> certainly not a rocket scientist, but I know they use a, a shed load of quite important elements and materials. There's obviously, as I talked about, the oxygen and the nitrogen for the fuel. People are talking about whether they, I don't know whether your satellites have kind of nuclear generators that keep going or whatever, but there's got to be a footprint for all of that. So, how does all of that fit into this utopia of bringing down the, the, the target time to net zero?
1: Yeah, so, so that's a good question. Of course, to produce the, the the space-based assets, the satellites, you have to use some resources. But once again, they're pretty efficient. An I6F1 we launched a year ago was one of the. In fact, last December we launched I6F1. So that's an I6 family of satellites. F1 is the first flight. It's a six-ton spacecraft. It's the largest, most complex uh, telecommunications satellite ever launched. But it's only six tons. It's designed to last last 15 years. An what, what, what six tons? Is that like a car?
0: What sort of
1: size is it? Yeah, good, tra- good question. So, so an I six looks like if you took a London, a double decker London bus, and turned yeah. it on its bum. If you yeah. <laughs> sat it sitting, standing up, yeah, it looks like that. That's
0: a pretty big. And that's a pretty a, big. Thing. That's a
1: big satellite. It's a big satellite. It is a big satellite. But if you think yeah. about that, if you think about, um, you know, a typical car is about one, one and a half tons. so what, what are we saying here? Maybe four cars. We're we'll talking, you know, a. A, a kind of not very heavy lorry, as we would say in the UK, wouldn't make eight tons. Might make eight tons. Fully yeah. articulated, large-scale trucks are like fifty and sixty tons, or certainly road trains in Australia are over sixty tons. So yeah. six tons is not very big. and A three hundred and eighty is hundreds of tons.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: So, you, so you talk about an asset that's six tons, lasts fifteen years, and can produce a, a, a large, a large component. Are, are there not about, any
0: resources? Sorry, Tim they are there not any resources once it's out there? Or does no. it
1: just stay in geostationary like perpetual energy? It is, well, so it lasts 15 years, not 500 years, so there's no such thing as perpetual energy. But but no, it's extremely energy not,
0: efficient.
1: Not, not yet, Todd. <laughs> not, not yet. That sure could be true. That could be true. Um, no, it's extremely efficient. The, the, uh, I mean, one of the things about space, of course, is no atmosphere. So you think about it today. Yeah. Um we have to keep burning through energy on earth because we're always attempting to overcome gravity. Yeah. So so that's another reason why you do burn energy continuously, whereas basically in space, in fact, you use your energy very sparingly because for every action you carry out, you have to think about how to get your reaction. Because if you push the spacecraft out in one direction, there's nothing to stop it. So you, yeah. so you have to think about how you manage forward and stop, if you like.
0: Look, I mean, I'm not going to give you a really hard time, but there will be people listening going, what about the carbon footprint of all this? What are you doing as a company to try and cut what you're producing. This is all great having a report, but, you know, what's in Marsat doing itself about, I don't know, your supply chain or the fuels you use or the materials you use and and how much, you know, like you mentioned at the beginning, you know, SpaceX is trying to do this recycling uh, spacecraft. And I think that's going to be much more of something that the public has to buy into if the public, at the end of the day, you know, has to support space. It, whether it's through taxes, whether it's through bursaries in, in the way it goes. So what are you doing about your own carbon footprint?
1: So, so good question. So, so, at, so first of all, my, my, my first message is space is extremely efficient. If you compare it to lots of other industries, uh, it is very efficient. But in fact, from an Imoset point of view, uh, we do take the reduction of greenhouse emissions importantly. We were the first uh, satellite communications company to agree to science-based targets and emission reduction targets. So we've committed to um, uh, scope one point two, scope one and two, reduction in our emissions by sixty four percent by twenty thirty, and scope three emissions, uh, reducing by eight by twenty eight percent by twenty thirty. So, so we're but in other words, so of course, the scope reductions describe where you reduce your yeah. footprint from yeah. your supply chain and so on. So we are absolutely uh, paying a lot of attention to where our uh, emissions come from, from our supply chain as well as ourselves, and running an active science-based target-driven program to manage that. So we do, we recognize there's no good talking about this stuff.
0: No, of course. Um,
1: and, then, and then, you know, thumbing our nose at it. But we are also saying this from the point of view of space, I'm not saying this is just from MSA, we're pointing out, look, space, Others in the space business as well have a part to play. This is more, much more about uh, what space writ large, A, is already doing for humankind and the planet, and B, what it can do. So, so while we're piloting there as a part we play in this today, we're just, we're saying the whole of the industry brings a benefit to society and can bring a much bigger benefit.
0: And I like that, but a lot of people don't. And a lot of people will point okay. that we've got enough stuff going on in our own planet. We can't feed people. We've got the cost of living crisis globally. We've got war. We've got all of that. How do you respond to that line, which is let's sort the stuff out down here before we look at what we're doing up there?
1: It's is interesting, isn't it? You see what is going on up there is sorting out the stuff down here. So so how do you more effectively know where to plant your crops so you can generate more food? while well, you use weather monitoring from space. To work out uh, rainfall patterns, climate and climate change patterns. There's a very good report out now from CSIRO, the government funded science group in Australia called Megatrends. And it talks about how we're no longer attempting to avoid climate change, we're learning to live with it. And so the ability to use uh, space based technology to look for things like weather patterns to so know where your crops are going to grow, going to go and grow better so that you can better feed the planet is uh, an opportunity for humankind every day as is things like more efficient use of transport to get stuff delivered. I mean, society today, particularly First World Society, relies on Amazon to deliver stuff everywhere. And more effectively, getting that delivery done straight away gives you a benefit because you don't want the delivery van doing endless circles. Uh, London's a great example of this, isn't it? So many one-way streets, dead-end streets and so on. So the ability to deliver the enhanced positioning from space makes a very big difference to just the pass you receive at home. And and this is going to go up right. So autonomous things, you know, autonomous cars, ships, planes, uh, they rely even more on positional accuracy. And of course, autonomy means you can carry less things to run the aircraft or the ship and so on. And that will give you another efficiency. And that's driven by space-based technology. So... It's funny, isn't it? People think, well, space is something we shouldn't do. Or Yeah, it's expensive. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's a folly. It's it's kind of like, it's a, la- it's a nice to do if you just, you know, got a few billion and you just want to ponce about, you know. Yeah. But they don't see the relevance of it.
1: It's it's interesting, and only only since, uh, you know, of course, Mr. Musk from, from uh, SpaceX yes. and uh, Jeff Bezos from Amazon started talking mm. about space. So people think of it like that. But of course, as I pointed out, we've all been doing it, space Because They think of for space years. tourism,
0: don't they, Todd? I mean, you know, uh, you have Captain Kirk going up in space, and it's all great, and it's all, but it's like, you know, hey, it, it's, it's just another tool for the rich. And, they, and, and I think this is where people think, oh, this is not what it used to be, which was science for the sake of humanity, and which was the early. Dream of the space race, which it never really was, because it was always driven by politics. Anyway, but 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 do you see what I mean? The, the I feeling is that it's it's kind of a a rich man's plaything, and and even more cause to 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 disturb what, what we've got on a fragile system. But you're trying to argue that that actually it's the other way around. This this is vital.
1: Yes. Well, just to give an example, you mean you you make reference to the rich man's plaything, but in fact. As you already mentioned yourself, everybody relies on GPS or yeah. what we know as GNSS yeah. positioning today. It's in every phone, it's yeah. in your car,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's, it's in your plane and your ship as well. So so in fact, there's an element of space embedded in everyday life for pretty much everybody that's kind of forgotten. People kind of yeah. forget yeah. that that's there, but it is actually helping. And in fact, it, while well, you experience it through your phone and so on, in fact, banking uses it to make sure you actually get money in your bank account. Yeah. So.
0: It's incredible, it's isn't it? I mean, the, the, I, I, I'm old enough to have it all in my head, mate, and, you know, the, the 80s <laughs> learning it. But that, that you don't need any of that now. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's what I mean. So, so in fact, um if, if, if we were to just take away some of the space-based benefits overnight... Only old I'd people be, like
0: me would survive.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's true. There's Too much of society would be like, well, I can't yeah. do my banking, I can't get my meter read at home for my gas usage. So am I going to get hope, my yeah, gas? Yeah, I can't
0: use my smart meter.
1: Yeah, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. I can't. I can't. I can't. Can't navigate my phone. Can't get my social (laughs) media updates. So, so in fact, oh, um,
0: crazy world, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, you know, people do easily forget that uh, space is really helping them every moment of every day. And what we're highlighting is that in fact, uh, space can do a lot more than a lot more than what it does today. And that's just simply greater adoption of what's already available today, let alone new technology.
0: Before we go, a couple of quick things. You're a commercial company, so I assume as you put these satellites up. You charge people time to use them. That's how you make the money, yeah? Yes, correct. Right. Many people say that actually th- this is this is the other issue, is that it's generally been, up until now, the last kind of, you know, 20, 30 years, it's been an endeavour that governments have done for the mm-hmm. good of humanity, NASA, ESA, whatever. For us to have all of these things, do we now t- need to look at, and we've seen it with SpaceX and uh, Blue Horizon, whatever it's called, that... This is commercialization has
1: to happen. Yes. Well, so, so first of all, yes, there's the funding component. You know, any government is sitting there with the uh, tax income it's generated thinking, do I need more hospitals? Do I need so, more yeah, infrastructure? So, So it's got choices to make, understandably. Yes. Space, because it has such a broad remit, has an ability to retain or rather to obtain some uh, commercial income across a very large set of people for a pretty low amount of rent per user, if you think about that. It's it's like a giant telecommunications network. And then the other really big thing is, you're right, governments did it originally, but you're seeing this already. So the pace of innovation in the commercial world is many times faster than what you're seeing in the government world because the government has so many things to focus on. And Mm -hmm. so governments have realised now that, in fact, they can get not only things done more cost-effectively, if you like, but also more efficiently where, as I've already highlighted, you know, where... Going to launch another six or seven satellites in the next three or four years, and there are some governments who haven't launched a satellite for fifteen or twenty years, and to think about what their next generation might be, and we'll have turned the technology handle a number of times in that time. So all of that brings about more capability more flexibility, often more cost efficiencies. And then the government sort of picks up the benefit of that by saying, well, why don't you do it for me? And you're right, you're seeing people like NASA, who was one of the original serious funders of the space operations, if you like, through the moon landing and so on, now outsourcing to commerce because it's both cheaper, quicker and more uh, innovative.
0: Before we go, and it's been fascinating, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation. Do, do, we, do you think that we may become over-reliant on this technology. Because there's always this issue now with, you know, technology is always benign until it's in the hands of someone who's not benign. Um, Hacking one of your satellites could cause havoc to loads of us. If we're all dependent more and more technology, it only takes one thing for it to all fall apart. What what do you perceive about, you know, this great prediction and I hope you're right that we can use satellite technology to to speed up our path to net zero and to make the planet a much better place. But there are dangers with all this automation. What what do you think your industry has to do to ensure that that doesn't happen, that we don't end up in a Skynet world of (laughs) droids firing at us? Yes. Uh,
1: look, one of the other good things about a commercial business is it, it likes to make sure it's going to be around, right? So so yeah, you do think true. a lot about your commercial sustainability as much as your environmental sustainability. Yeah. So we are very focused on making sure that we're robust in the way we operate and reliably secure in that way. We have a dedicated operations centre for that, as does much of the space industry. So, and in fact, um, you know, w- when things like hacking and so on are basically part of everyday life, really. Yes, Telecommunications is one of the areas where there's a lot more attention paid to those sorts of things because telecommunications is so pervasive. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I continue to believe that we a lot of effort in to make sure that we're um, aware of what of what's going on around the world, we're aware of how people might want to do us harm, and generally speaking, space does that. The space industry looks at that a lot. You know, it's, it's in fact slightly easier to worry about 15 large assets in space than I don't know how many tell you know uh, LTE towers or mobile phone towers BT has but it'd be a lot so if you think about how much a bigger job it is to manage that kind of infrastructure versus yeah 15 spacecraft is actually potentially slightly easier you do need perhaps well not perhaps you do need more specialist skills but uh, but it is easier to pay attention to that and then we do because we are in our particular case because we were created to save life at sea we're mandated everything over 300 tons we pay a lot of attention to availability and reliability that's a core part of our business everything we have is backed up there's always a spare spacecraft it's a very expensive endeavor in itself spare ground segment if you like everything we have backups for everything because we need to make sure we're always there for shipping and aviation principally but also for governments and mining oil and gas and so on
0: it's been fascinating i wonder what the future will be But I do think probably more space tech is is part of it. Um, Todd McDonald from InmanSat, thanks so much for joining us on the Hero podcast. And here's to a a cleaner future.
1: Yes, agreed. Thank you very much, Sima. Thank you.
0: I really enjoyed that chat. And yes, I can see the arguments that people have. But if you look at it, getting things into space, I think is still pretty cool. And if it can really help us, as we were just hearing, well, let's do it. Uh, before i go a couple of things uh first of all uh i don't know if you took part in the octopus energy grid rebalancing we were a bit too cold to do that but it was a good idea and i think uh, about uh, 400,000 people took part which is part of this whole balancing over the winter where companies are being encouraging us to switch off or use less energy if you can afford to do it brilliant you can but please don't put your health at risk, I would say that. And last to end with is Qatar. I just came back from the World Cup and uh, yeah, I had high hopes. Obviously, they all went with the sky high kick from Harry Kane, but um, it was an experience. And it was an experience that I think, you know, I'm glad I went because you have all these impressions of what it's like, and it is an oil and gas state. And it is, you know, energy is so cheap. there, It's, it's, it's ridiculous, but I did see things on the sites in terms of solar panels I saw things in terms of water recycling I saw things in terms of kind of EV transport I saw big signs about kind of looking after our planet and the Qatari people I met there are not stupid they know oil and gas is great for them right now but it won't be around forever and I think you've got to you know you can't demonize countries like Qatar and Uh, other Middle Eastern countries that have the oil and gas resources. If we had them, we'd be using them. You've got to be realistic. They've got a good standard of living because of it, but they are willing to listen and they are wanting to transition. So was it the right place to hold the World Cup? I'm not too sure in the end of it, but it gave me a real experience. It gave people in that part of the world an example of what football can bring. And and I think it was really good to see it's still going on, obviously, but really good to see, um, you know, lots of people from different parts of the world who work there getting involved in football so uh I'm not saying that uh, there aren't issues with what happened in Qatar certainly are but I don't think we can all just sit there and go uh it was all rubbish because you got to go and see it with your own eyes and I have to say I had quite a pleasant experience that's it for this week's podcast keep listening keep downloading Remember, better business better the planet is our motto. If you've got a story you want to tell, let me know. My thanks to Rob for production, as always. See you next time. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to net zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media, futurenetzero.com, better business, better planet.